Chapter 8 Journey to Hyrule Castle Link just wanted to go home. Weeks ago, the chance to adventure into the wide and unknown expanse of Hyrule would have filled him with wonder. Even though home could be boring sometimes, he knew he was safe. At home, his biggest worry was a bully named Mido and his not terribly bright lackeys. Mido didn't seem like a big deal compared to what Link had encountered since venturing out of the forest. Did the great Deku Tree make a mistake? Had he been so close to death that he'd been unable to think straight? It was possible, Link thought. Perhaps he was never meant to leave the forest. But then, no. Soraya had known he would leave, and so had Kapora. The mizzle that persisted through the small hours of the night dampened his mood. He sat in the doorway of the stables, his arms sore after an hour of helping move boxes into Talon's cart. He hadn't slept much, and despite Talon's suggestion, he did not want to rest. His blistered hand still stung, despite the salve Ciara had given him, and his thoughts kept drifting to the previous night. The boxes Link had been carrying were laden with bottles of milk and enchanted red ice. Navi told him that only mage fire could make it melt, and it helped keep the bottles of milk cold. They were also quite heavy, and Link only managed to load three boxes onto the cart. On his fourth run, he tripped straight over a chicken. Both crate and boy went crashing to the earth. Bottles tumbled and shattered with a loud crash, milk splashing across the ground. The offending chicken hobbled off to its coop, clucking angrily all the while. Talon came rushing over, as did Tingle the cat. The latter was only interested in quickly lapping up the milk before it soaked into the ground, not caring for anyone else. Talon shooed the animal away, earning a sulky glare in the process. Link dusted himself off, half a dozen apologies forming on the tip of his tongue, but Talon brushed them aside and sent him to have a rest, leaving him to the company of Navi and one of the rancher's friendlier hounds. Nosy was a young, sprightly dog with a white patch of fur upon his muzzle. Having given up on trying to convince Link to throw a stick and growing bored of chewing on Link's boots, he was now staring at Link with doleful puppy eyes, head resting on the boy's lap. Getting the hint, Link yielded to the dog's request and idly scratched its ears. Nosy's eyes rolled, the hound grunting with doggy contentment. Link watched Malin and Talon as they made their final preparations to depart. Talon was harnessing a horse, yawning loudly as he did so. Judging from Ingo's gruff tones, Talon had somehow tangled the horse in its harness. Malin quickly came over and offered to fix the problem, leaving the two adults to keep grumbling. Nobody was in a particularly good mood. Come on, Link, Talon called as he finished checking the tack. Climb on the back. We'll be off in a sec. Sorry, Nosy, Link said apologetically. He stopped scratching the dog and got up. Nosy laid down in the straw, tail wagging, and rolled onto his back in a gesture of, Can you scratch my belly? Link almost obliged, but Talon called him. Hurry up, we can't stand around here all day getting nothing done. Link could have sworn he saw Ingo pause and raise an eyebrow as he secured the wagon's cargo. Talon, none the wiser, was already walking off towards one of the storehouses. Ingo followed after him, whistling a command to Nosy. 
The dog took off, trotting towards the farmhand. Link trudged wearily over to the cart and clambered onto it. Navi landed on top of one of the boxes, her eyes inadvertently drifting to the blackened ruins. Link didn't follow her gaze. He wanted to block out the memory of what had happened. With the heavy smell of smoke still wafting from the wreckage, that was no easy task. They had spent a short time sifting through the ruins, trying to see if they could salvage anything. The farmhands had helped Talon do this, insisting that Link and Malin didn't need to join them. There had been little left to find, save an odd toy critter that belonged to Malin. Link's first impression was of a small pillow with a leaf-like embroidery fashioned to resemble a face. Malin called it a Korok. Somehow, it had survived the inferno unscathed, unlike most of the trinkets they found. Malin was walking towards him, wearing a large cloak over her dress to keep out the winter chill. The woolen wrappings were too large for her and dragged along the ground. She held a bundle in her hands, offering it to Link. It turned out to be another cloak. Here, she said. Dad says you will catch a cold if you don't wear something warmer. Thanks, Link replied, throwing the woolen garment around his shoulders. It was warm, snug, and very heavy. How did anybody move in one of these things? Malin climbed up beside him. Each lost within their own thoughts. They just sat for a while. Link was glad when the crunch of earth announced Talon's arrival. Well, I think we're ready. Or as ready as we can be. Talon's eyes drifted to the ruined farmhouse and then back to the two children. If we get moving fast enough, we'll be able to have a hot meal at the other end. How's that sound? He grinned, but the smile never quite reached his eyes. You said that the last time, Malin complained sourly. We ended up with cold stew. Well, uh, Talon's grin faded slightly. We'll see what we can do this time. The rest of their small party arrived, forming a tight gathering around the wagon. Talon spoke a command to his horse, and with a lurch, the wagon trundled out of the gates. Link sat in silence, watching the walls of Lonlon grow smaller. Soon, the cart rounded a hill, and both town and ranch vanished from sight. As the morning mist cleared, they revealed the verdant meadows of Hyrule Field beneath a cold winter sky. The frost that still clung to the grass glimmered in the dawn light. Five soldiers rode beside the cart like an honor guard, dressed in full armor with a helm that covered their faces. Sierra also joined their somber group. She rode at the head of the party, preferring a small amount of solitude. They were nearly a third of the way to Kakariko when Malin finally spoke. Father says he's taking me to Orden after he finishes his deliveries tomorrow, Malin said. I'm going to stay with my cousins for a while. Is he going to stay with you? Navi asked, seizing the opportunity to make conversation. I hope so, Malin said, staring away from Link. My cousins are kind of annoying. The heavy silence returned, and it seemed half an eternity before Malin spoke again. She drew a deep breath, fiddling idly with her hair. The fact that it looked so disheveled when she usually kept her hair neat was not surprising. Thanks for saving me, Malin mumbled, blushing at her own words. You were really brave, fairy boy. I woke when I heard someone turning the door handle. I thought maybe it was you or dad, but I never thought her voice faltered, and she looked away. There was someone else in the house, Navi finished for her. Malin gave the barest nod, 
still looking away and not uttering a single word in reply. I was scared too, Link admitted. Feeling uncomfortable, he decided to change the subject. Is Epona going with you to where your cousins live? No, she's staying on the ranch. Bernard and Gavin will take good care of her, Malin said. They like Epona. Ingo only hates her because she kicks him every time he gets close enough. I wonder why, Navi muttered sarcastically. Link gave her a look, but before she could respond, the wagon came to a sudden halt. Talon's horse, Swift, moved a few steps, snorting and whinnying as she did so. Even from where he was, Link could sense the animal was afraid. What's going on? Malin asked. Wait here, Talon called over his shoulder. I'm just going to check something. Check what? Navi asked, zipping up into the air to get a better look. Gerudo? Link thought apprehensively. Knowing it wouldn't help Malin, he tried not to let his fear show. Nothing threatening emerging from the surrounding hills. Nobody else shared the road and there had been no outcry from the guards. So what was wrong? The guards spotted something, that's all, Navi shouted as she scoped out their surroundings. For the first time, Link could hear voices raised in consternation. It sounded like the guards were having an argument. Link considered clambering on top of the crates to have a look, but then decided that was a bad idea. Instead, he jumped off the wagon. What are you doing? Malin shouted. Da said to wait. I'm not going far, he called over his shoulder. He rounded the front of the cart. The first thing he noticed was that Talon's black mare was gazing ahead with wary eyes. The cause of her concern seemed to be the guards who'd clustered around something. Malin clambered into the front of the cart, glanced ahead at the guards, and then turned her attention to Swift. Talon, who was halfway towards the guards, called out. What is it? A deer! One guard called back. Not much left of it. Poor thing, Talon said with dismay. Must have met foul of a bear. This doesn't look like the work of a bear, another man said, stepping sideways to make room for Talon. Look here. He gestured at the ground. I might not be a tracker, but I can tell those aren't bear paw prints. Link tried to catch a glimpse of the deer, but there were too many people crowded around it. He wandered towards the group, noticing Sierra standing in their midst. He finally caught sight of the deer, and suddenly wished he'd stayed where he was. Just as the guard had said, there was not much left to see. Nothing but congealed blood, bone, and bloodied fur. Bile rose in his throat, and Link turned away from the horrific sight. He couldn't get the disturbing picture out of his mind, and wherever he looked, there were signs of a struggle. Specks of blood splattered the flattened grass, and not far away, hoofprints marked where the deer's flight had ended in blood and pain. There were paw prints too, far too large for an average farm dog, and oddly shaped for a wolf. Wolfos! Navi muttered with a grimace. Link looked around at the guards. One of them appeared to have reached the same conclusion, but his companions were not so easily convinced. It was definitely a wolfos, Sierra affirmed. Gods, one of the guards swore. Never heard of them beasts traveling this far south of the mountains before. First the raids, then a bloody Gerudo attacks Lonlon. Now more wolfos? This isn't normal. It's witchcraft, I tell you. Uh, meaning no offense, my lady. 
That last comment was directed at Sierra. The king has to do something soon, or people will be in an uproar, said another guard. I'm sure he will. The faintest trace of worry betrayed Sierra's stoic countenance. Link looked around, half expecting a wolfos to come charging out of the grass and attack. He could almost feel the beast's hot breath against the nape of his neck, and the sudden agony as its jaws clenched shut on him. He'd die, just like the deer whose bloodied remains lay scattered in the grass. Close as he was, Link noticed the stench of blood that hung in the air, and it was little wonder Swift was afraid. Link, I thought I told you to stay where you were. Link whirled around. Talon was standing behind him, worry written across his face. It's all right, boy, he said, offering Link a gentle pat on the back. Come on, let's get you back in the wagon. Aren't we going to be attacked by wolfos? Link blurted out, voicing his uncertainty. He didn't feel courageous. This sort of thing just wasn't supposed to happen to a Kokiri. Talon regarded him for a moment, his expression grim, and then he traded a glance with Navi. I should have made sure you didn't see that, he said quietly, sounding annoyed with himself. Wasn't a pretty sight, poor thing. He glanced back at the deer and then gently added, We have some of the finest soldiers in Hyrule and a Shikar with us. They'll keep us safe. You'll see. He clapped Link on the shoulder and steered him back towards the cart. Come, lad, on you get. You okay? Navi asked him quietly as they reached the wagon. Fine, Link muttered, joining Malin on her perch. He wasn't fine, and judging by her pained expression, Navi knew he wasn't. As Talon had promised, there were no further signs of any wolfos. Despite this, Link couldn't help but notice how the guards now spread out and seemed far less casual than before. There was less laughter, and most of the conversation seemed muted. Afternoon finally came, and they stopped by the bridge across the Zora River wide expanse, deciding to let the horses rest. For Talon, this meant a good opportunity to take a nap. Link took this chance to clamber down the stony bank and rinse his grimy face. He noticed a few children were fishing nearby. Some of the younger ones were splashing each other with water, laughing themselves giddy with glee, or chasing their attackers and screaming with delight as they ran. I wish it were like that for me, Link thought with a pang. Not a care in the world. Navi directed his attention to a shack that stood perched a little further up the river's edge. There was a sign nailed to a nearby post. Fisherman's Shack. Zora are advised to take care when swimming near the river's edge. How's a Zora going to read that if they live underwater? Link wondered when Navi read it. At Malin's suggestion, they decided to head inside. The interior of the shop reeked of gutted fish. The fisherman didn't seem to notice as he handed Malin a bucket of squirming bait and then passed Link two fishing rods. Sickened by the horrible odor of dead fish, Link was glad to lead the way out of the shack. As they climbed down the shop's front steps, Link could hear the man whistling merrily. I don't think he can smell, Link muttered to himself as he made his way along the bank. They found their own spot by the shallows, and the calmer atmosphere soon began to melt away Link's somber mood. Malin seemed more cheerful herself, and was soon humming away quietly. It didn't take too long for Link to attract some attention. After a little while, the younger children who'd been focused on their water fight 
were all ogling at him and Navi. They looked away every time Link peeked at them and whispered fervently amongst themselves. Honestly, Navi said, peering out from under his cap and looking unamused. You could probably try eating some of the fish bait if you want to get rid of them in a hurry. Malin scrunched her face in revulsion. Ew, that's disgusting. Link looked down at the bucket of wriggling bait and couldn't help but agree with Malin. The Kokiri lived off the land, and while they were seldom fussy, most of them weren't that gross. Link had eaten grubs once after Mito told him he had to, or else he was a wimp. Sorry, ruin your appetite? Navi asked. Link shook his head. He was not feeling that hungry anyway. He looked up the hill towards Talon's cart. Sierra stood near the wagon, silent and still. Though the hood of her cloak was up, Link knew the woman was watching them closely. She's scary, isn't she? Malin asked as she noticed too. A little, Link agreed. Her eyes are creepy. I heard Shika can kill you just by looking at you, Malin said. Yeah, right, Link replied, shooting her a look of total disbelief. Malin did have some strange ideas, or maybe it was just something to do with Hillians. Not being careful, Link almost threaded his finger on the fishing hook. Ouch! He jerked his hand back. Then, fumbling with unsteady fingers, he finally threaded one of the wriggling worms onto the barb. He cast the line, smiling in satisfaction when he heard a faint plop. See, I told you it was easy, Malin said cheerily. That was when something yanked on Link's fishing line. Hard. Oh, you caught something, Malin squealed with delight. Quick, reel it in. Whatever it was, it yanked even harder, ripping the rod from Link's hands. He flung himself after it, snatching at the rod with both hands. As he did, a milk-white humanoid creature emerged from the water, and Link nearly scrambled back up the bank in shock. It wasn't a fish at all. It almost looked like one with water glistening off the fins that jutted out from its arms and legs, and the cartilage over the back of its head that was shaped like a fishtail. Is that a Zora? Link wondered, having never seen one before. It looked rather angry, its black eyes narrowed and its face contorted into a scowl. Oops. Realizing he'd accidentally snared it on his hook, Link jumped to his feet and scrambled up the rocky bank. Malin followed him until they reached the top, and then, gasping for breath, they tumbled into the grass. When they did, Malin burst out laughing. You... you caught a Zora, she sat up and pointed at the Zora who was still shaking a fist at them. Unable to keep himself from joining in, Link laughed as well. It felt so good to laugh, even though he was in painful stitches. Sierra shook her head with exasperation and shuffled off down towards the Zora. The other kids on the bank had long since scooted away, and meanwhile, the owner of the fishing shack was telling the Zora off. As he did so, he jabbed a finger at a sign on the front of his cabin. Then he stormed off, tugging his hat as he did so. By the time Link finished laughing, he was almost certain he'd cracked a rib. That was when he noticed Sierra standing over him, the tiniest hint of a smile breaking through her chicane mask. Link quickly composed himself, stood up, and offered an apologetic smile. Uh, we, we weren't doing anything wrong, he stammered nervously. We just... You may wish to return these, Sierra said, 
holding out two fishing rods, and do try to stay out of trouble. I don't look for trouble, Link said. It just finds me. Hmm, Sierra mused, sounding like she didn't believe him. So I've noticed. We need to move soon, so I suggest you hurry. Unless you would prefer to walk? No thanks, Link said quickly. Then hurry up. And you, girl! Malin squeaked, startled as Sierra addressed her. Yes, Mr. Sierra? She asked nervously. Do try and wake your father up quickly, Sierra said with an air of amusement. What? Malin glanced back at the wagon. Oh, Talon was indeed asleep. Somehow he'd managed to sleep through the entire commotion. The guards appeared not to have taken any interest either. Most of them were sitting in a circle around a small fire while several of their comrades watched the surrounding hills. Once they returned the rods, the fishermen grumbling all the while about Zora thinking they owned the joint, which they technically did, and an annoying young Zora who'd once stolen his hat as a joke, Link and Malin found Talon still asleep. Malin shouted, shook him, and even slapped him, much to Link's surprise, but his snores continued unabated. Not giving up just yet, Malin retrieved a bucket from the cart and stormed off down to the river. She quickly returned, water slapping out of her bucket, and stomped over to the wagon. Link almost grinned, realizing what she was about to do, but Navi didn't look like she approved. Just as it seemed like Talon was going to be sopping wet, he stirred and yawned, realizing that Malin was standing next to him with a pail of water, and knowing just what she intended, he jumped to his feet. Uh, all right, all right, I, I'm up, uh, he said sleepily. Just give me a sec. He's harder to wake up than you, Navi muttered. Link ignored her and quickly trotted back to the wagon once more. After the encounter with Azora, the somber mood that clung to their journey evaporated like the mist on a spring morning. Link found the rest of the journey to Kakariko more enjoyable. They crossed the wide stone bridge, which offered a view of the nearby docks on one side, where tiny boats bobbed up and down the river current. On the other side, the river followed the contours of the land, weaving between grassy plains and forested hills. Link watched the passing travelers and the animals gazing in the nearby pastures with a rapt interest that Malin didn't share. He pointed out the peddlers and wagons that carried a curious array of shiny trinkets that Link had never seen before. Curious to know what they were and what they carried, he pestered Navi and Malin with an endless barrage of questions. Malin got bored rather quickly and decided to have a snooze. Navi was a little more obliging and even seemed determined to keep him occupied for a while. It was nighttime when they finally arrived at the outskirts of Kakariko. They didn't stay in the town itself, though Talon did not say why. Instead, the wagon came to a halt outside a small farm off the main road that belonged to Sierra. Wanting to keep Link away from prying eyes, she decided it would be a good place to stop for the night. Link felt bad for this, even when Talon reassured him it was not a big deal. Dinner was a simple meal of lukewarm soup. Malin complained bitterly until Talon promised her something nice for lunch the next day. Once their bowls were empty and cleaned, the two children were ushered off to bed. Why somebody after you so badly? Malin asked when they curled up in their beds. The question left Link feeling distinctly uncomfortable. A part of him just wanted to sink under the sheets and not come out, 
She probably wouldn't believe him if he mentioned that he was being hunted by a powerful sorcerer. She didn't know as much as Talon or Sierra did, and he was forbidden to tell her any of it. Navi glanced at him from the bedpost and shook her head. I don't know, he lied. The words left him with a bitter aftertaste, like bile on his tongue, but he did his best to ignore it. Talon spared him an awkward silence when he opened the door. You two all right? he asked, when he noticed that both of them were quiet, despite being wide awake. We're fine, Papa, Malin said. Good to hear, Talon replied. Got an early start tomorrow. You both best get some sleep. Afraid it's cramped quarters, so we're all sharing a room. Link groaned quietly as Talon strode over to the remaining bed and sat down. With a tired yawn, the man kicked his shoes off and then laid down. It seemed like only a few heartbeats later that his loud snores filled the room, loud enough to wake even the dead. I don't think I'm going to get a lot of sleep, Link thought glumly. He didn't think any of them would, except Talon. Before the first tendrils of light crept across the winter skies, Link dragged himself out of bed with no small amount of grumbling about being tired and prepared to leave with the others. Talon was last up as everyone else swallowed a breakfast of warm porridge mixed with fruit. When they left the warm confines of Sierra's home, the frigid winter wind seemed to snatch the warmth from Link's bones. He sat shivering on the back of the wagon, wrapped in a cloak and blanket, trying to get some extra sleep as the wagon rattled its way down the road. Every bump in the road jostled him, and tired as he was, sleep evaded him. By dawn, they were traveling back over the Zora River. The hours went by, and then, as the sun rose to its zenith, they finally arrived at Castle Town. Navi roused him from his fistful slumber. Rubbing sleep from his eyes, Link stretched and scrambled to his knees so he could peer out the side and see what was ahead of him. The road ahead ended at what Link thought was a long stone pier that reached halfway across the river where it met a drawbridge. At the far end of this bridge was the immense archway of the gatehouse, with brightly colored flags adorning it. The wall stood as tall as many of the trees in the forest, its broad length interrupted at regular intervals by even taller guard towers. Squinting, Link was sure he could see guards patrolling the wall. As Link took all this in, his fatigue vanished at once, and he simply gawked, enraptured by what he was seeing. He leaned further out the cart, trying to snatch a glimpse of the city itself. A stern word from Talon quickly sent Link sinking back into his seat. As the cart rattled across the drawbridge, Link couldn't quite puzzle out why it looked so familiar. He didn't stay fixated on that oddity for long. Soon, they were over the bridge and on their way into the town. Two guards stood by the gate, looking rather bored. One was muttering to himself, stopping as he recognized Talon to whom he smiled and gave a nod. Morning, Talon greeted him. Link wished he had a few more eyes. An array of brick, stone, and wood closed in on him from both sides. Colorful flags draped the walls of many buildings. Elaborate signs hung from the shop awnings, beckoning potential customers inside. Link couldn't hear himself, or even the familiar rumbling of the cart amidst the clamor of musicians and people talking or shouting. It's huge, he said in astonishment. They approached a plaza adorned by an elaborate structure of carved stone with water cascading down its sides and into the basin below. That's a fountain, Navi said when Link asked. 
She was bombarded by dozens of questions as Link tried to take in the dizzying plethora of sights, sounds, and smells. Stalls lined the edges of the square, and Link caught a whiff of freshly baked bread amidst countless other smells. The scent of fresh fish, herbs, and other goods pervaded the air. Link wanted to check out everything and wished the Navi would stop saying no. What about that? he asked, pointing to a building from which drifted the pleasant sound of music. I think it's a tavern, Link, Navi said. What's a tavern? Somewhere you're not allowed. Why? Because it's where grown-ups go. At a look from Link, she added, Hylaean grown-ups. The tavern was soon behind them, and Link busied himself with checking out what else there was to see. Hawkers cried their wares, including some shiny trinkets that Link wanted to examine. He noticed some shopkeepers seemed to be arguing with their customers, waving their arms all the while. Navi assured him they were only haggling. They weren't really arguing. Well, most of them weren't. What's haggling? Link asked. You'll learn soon enough, Navi answered, sounding irritable. They'd both lost count of just how many questions he'd asked now, and he still had plenty more. Link's ears soon picked up the soft trill of a flute as its melody pealed through the square. Finally, the cart stopped. Seeing a stall that was selling some delicious-looking sweets, Link clambered to the edge of the wagon. His mouth watered as he stared longingly at trays filled with stuffed pastries, rolls topped with honey, and buns smeared with sugary cream. They looked far more delicious than the porridge he'd eaten that morning. Where do you think you're going? Navi asked, her stern tone making him all too aware that he wasn't meant to leave the cart. Link groaned, wishing Navi would at least try to share his excitement, and then resigned himself to just looking around. It wasn't long until Talon presented him and Malin with a freshly baked pie to make up for yesterday's deliciously cold soup. When he received the pie, and the wagon was once again moving slowly through the crowd, Link bit into his meal. He closed his eyes for a second, relishing the delicious state of the hot gravy and spicy meat. He quickly consumed the rest in record time, leaving nothing but scattered crumbs behind. He licked the grease off his fingers, smiling as he finished. The path to Hyrule Castle lay before them. It was a broad street that meandered between tightly clustered buildings, rising up the hill towards the enormous keep that loomed above all. The tall walls that wreathed the royal residence made Link think that sneaking inside would be nearly impossible. All too soon, the wagon slowed to a halt outside an inn named the Silver Mare. A tall gentleman with balding hair and wearing an apron with a white horse embroidered on it greeted them. Talon, he called cheerily. Was about sure you weren't turning up. What took you so long? Your brother's been here looking for you. Sorry, Galad, Talon said as he swung down from the wagon seat. Ran into a spot of trouble on the ranch. Galad and Sierra shared a glance as the woman strode over to greet him. Damn wolves getting to your herd again, huh? Galad asked Talon sympathetically. Belen told me something had happened, but he wouldn't say what. I'll tell you later, Talon said with a subtle gesture towards Malin. Care to help me unload some of this? He gestured a thumb towards the cart. No sooner had he done so than two young men emerged from the shadows of the inn. 
Oi, shove her over, kid, one called, and Link almost glared. He jumped off the wagon, Malin followed suit, and the men began to unload some of the boxes from the cart. So this is the young lad I've heard about. Link froze as he felt Galad's eyes on him. Well, no use standing there, boy. Say your goodbyes and come on inside. You must be freezing. He gave a nod to Talon and went back inside the inn. Link stared after him. How did that man even know who he was? Go on, Link. Sierra will see to your needs from here, Talon said. He gave Link a hearty pat on the shoulder and then spoke with gentle seriousness. And, if you need somewhere to stay, once things are settled down, once and for all, I could always use an extra hand on the ranch. You'd be more than welcome. I, uh, thank you, was all Link could manage. Remember that, lad. We'll be back soon enough. He turned towards the cart, leaving Malin beside Link. To Link's shock, Malin hugged him. I'll miss you, fairy boy. Uh, you too, Malin, Link mumbled, feeling a little embarrassed. Well, best be off. Come on, Malin, Talon said, stopping as he looked over his shoulder. Malin met Link's eyes for a moment, and then she went back to her seat on the cart. Come, let's get you inside. Link almost jumped, turning to find the Shaka healer just behind him. Aren't we going to the castle? Link asked, eager to explore it. It's best if you wait here. I'll bring someone to meet you. Don't worry. Galad's a good man. He'll take care of you. She ushered Link to the inn. Galad gave Sierra a cheery greeting from behind a counter as she gave him a few rupees and then directed Link upstairs. The Shakal left without another word, and Link waited with Navi in the confines of his room. And waited. By late afternoon, and after catching up on an hour or two of sleep, Link was worried. He peered out at the bustling city streets for any sign of Sierra. Another woman came in with a tray of food, and when he asked her where Sierra was, she just shook her head and offered him a smile before leaving. Trying not to worry, Link scoffed down the peppery stew and kept waiting. Soon, his anxiety was making him wish he hadn't eaten so fast. What if she doesn't come back? Link asked eventually. She will, Navi said. She didn't sound confident. Link wondered if Talon and Malin would still be in the market. Maybe they could help him find Sierra or even get into the castle. Hadn't Talon been off to see his brother? That, Link thought, might be his way in. Deciding to find them, he made his way downstairs. Galad quickly spotted Link and steered him back upstairs. She'll be back soon. Don't you go worrying yourself, he said reassuringly, ushering Link back into the room. Not to be dissuaded so easily, Link waited until he heard the man's footsteps descend the stairs. Once they faded, he walked over to the table and hauled it over to the window. It was a difficult task. The table scraped and bumped with each shove and Link hoped nobody downstairs could hear it. Finally, with the table against the windowsill, he opened the shutters and peered outside. Navi protested loudly, but he ignored her. Clambering out onto the tiled roof was easy. Ah, uh, Link, we really should wait, Navi said as they looked up and down the street. Navi, Sierra would have come back by now. Something's happened to her, and how do we know we just won't be found again? Navi went silent, and Link knew she agreed with him. There was a reason the Shikah hadn't come back. 
He didn't want to wait at the inn until Ganondorf's people found him, and he knew they'd cause trouble in the inn. A lot of people would get hurt. Link slowly made his way along the roof, careful to make sure none of the tiles were loose before he stepped on them. He didn't think it was that different from climbing a tree. You still had to consider each movement carefully to avoid tumbling into the air. He tried not to think about that. The mere thought of what would happen if he wasn't careful made his stomach thicken with nausea. Swallowing his fear, he considered his options. There weren't many. The stones looked far too smooth to climb, not at all like a gnarled tree trunk. Jumping onto the balcony of the inn's second story was just asking to be caught. There was another balcony that wrapped around the building next to the inn. An alley ran through the narrow space between the two buildings, but it wasn't far to jump. He could make it. Link, why don't I like that look? Navi asked. Link was smiling, almost mischievously, as he made up his mind and peered over the edge. Knowing that Navi would not approve, but certain it was completely safe, he didn't say anything. He just jumped and felt an exhilarating rush as he landed feet first on the balcony. He rounded the corner of the porch and came to the front door of someone's house. At least, he thought it was a house. There wasn't a sign to announce the building's trade. He peered over the edge of the balcony to stare in fascination at the street below. Then, Navi flew in front of his face, scowling, both hands firmly on her hips. You and I need to have a good talk about being careful, she said, anger brimming in each word. I was careful, Link said. She shot him a doubtful look. No, you weren't. Just ugh, wait for me next time. Okay, he said absently. He moved away from the balcony railing in case any of the inn's patrons or staff noticed him. It occurred to him then that he hadn't given much thought on what to do after he'd left the inn. Find Sierra, he thought, or get into the castle. That was going to be tricky. How was he supposed to find his way around this city? Would Talon be able to help him, or would he just be sent back to the inn? Maybe finding Malin wasn't such a great idea. He knew staying at the inn would just lead to Ganondorf finding him yet again. Link was so busy thinking, he didn't notice the door beside him open. Not until it nearly knocked him over. What are you doing? An angry voice bellowed from behind. Link jumped back from the door, accidentally upsetting a flower pot beside him. He cringed as it toppled over with a tinkering crash. Oops. The rather large woman standing in the doorway glared at Link. Then her eyes went to the broken pot and then back to Link, who managed a sheepish grin. Without a word, Link took off at a run. He could hear the woman shouting angrily as he bounded down the stairs and off into the street. Once he was sure he wasn't being pursued, Link slipped into an alley and tucked himself in behind a barrel. Navi joined him, still scowling. I tell you to be careful and then you go breaking things. Honestly, Link, you might not get away so easily next time. I didn't mean to break the pot, Link protested. She startled me. I know, uh, just... <sighs> Navi sighed, the fury melting away. You don't know much about this place, and there are still people looking for us. A city is not a place that you can fool around in, or play to your heart's content. It isn't safe. 
Your sword and the stone might make you a target for anyone wanting a few spare rupees. You have to be careful, okay? Link wasn't entirely sure he understood, but he nodded anyway. Okay, he agreed, meeting her eyes. Good. In that case, we'd better get moving. The faster we get to the castle, the better. They left the alleyway, and Link slipped into the crowd of people. Navi decided to lead them on an indirect route towards the castle. This way, there was less chance of being spotted than if they took the main thoroughfare to the gates. Despite this idea, the side street seemed no less crowded than the main road, and wandering through the crowd of tall Hylaeans was proving to be a daunting experience. They moved so fast, and never took much care to avoid walking straight into him. More than once, someone bumped into Link, and nearly sent him toppling onto the cobblestones. Most cursed or yelled at him for being in their way. Link didn't hang around to listen to their angry tirades, and hastened on his way. Why is everyone in such a hurry, he wondered, and why are they all this cranky? With the odd exception, it was like being surrounded by dozens of grumpy ingos. Link swallowed the nervous lump that rose in his chest and pressed on, not allowing himself to be intimidated by the forest of people, despite their size. As they continued along the narrow avenue, Link noticed that some of the children playing along the edges of the street were eyeing him with suspicion, even hatred. Once, three boys followed him, and there was something in the way they looked at him that frightened Link. He'd been beaten by Mido's friends more than once, and he recognized the threat in their eyes. He knew he stood a good chance against them, but after what happened to Mido, he didn't want to fight. Heeding Navi's warning, Link hastened his pace and quickly tried to lose them. He detoured, noticing that Navi was angrily cursing herself for letting him escape the inn. Their detour led Link into a less wealthy part of town. It smelled horrible, and several wagons were collecting what looked like dung. As Link decided to head back for the main road, sure he was no longer being pursued, a beggar grabbed him, his dirty fingernails digging into Link's arm. The state of the gentleman's clothing, the smell of it, and the sight of his decayed teeth made his grin truly terrifying. Never had he seen something so wretched and destitute. By reflex, his free hand snatched at his sword, and then it was the beggar's turn to step away, letting go of Link's arm. Torn between apologizing for nearly drawing his sword and the need to flee, Link fled, unable to form the words. After that, he was nearly ready to head back to the inn, despite the danger involved. For all he and Navi knew, Ganondorf's spies might already know he was staying there. Navi offered to fly back and offer the beggar a rupee, but Link didn't want to be parted from her. He sat by a stall, selling fruit, letting himself recover. The stall owner must have thought he was lost, for she took pity on him and gave him an apple. Link took it, considered going back to give it to the beggar, but then he spotted one of the children he'd seen earlier lurking in the shadows. Eager to avoid confronting them, Link abandoned the thought and made his way back to the main road. Ahead, he saw a building with an insignia of two swords painted onto its rather worn sign. Navi read the insignia for him. Death Mountain Smithies. It's dangerous to go alone. Take these. 
Another shop front featured a pile of cages, each with a squawking chicken. They did not look too happy with their accommodation, nor were they particularly friendly. The sign in front of them read, Highly Aggressive Hylaean Cuckoos. The perfect solution for any farmer looking to remove foxes or wolves from their land. Navi scoffed when she finished reading it. Yeah, like anyone will believe that. At one street corner, Link spotted a shop with a picture of two masks, each wearing a broad and beaming smile. The sign at the front of this store read, Happy Mask Man's Shop. Magical masks to suit all your needs. This gave Link an idea. I wonder if they sell masks that can make you invisible, he asked. Navi frowned doubtfully, but he continued on anyway. It might help us to get into the castle. I have never heard of any masks that can do that, she said. She paused, pursed her lips, and then added, Except one. Link looked up at her questioningly, and Navi continued, Remember how I told you I was there when the great Deku Tree was cursed? Link nodded. You think it made the desert man invisible? He asked. That, or it made him impervious to the wards protecting the forest. Or both, Navi said thoughtfully. Bang! The shop door burst open, almost tearing off its hinges as it crashed straight into Link. The blow stunned him, and for a moment, he barely realized he'd just slammed into the cobblestones. Damn it, a woman yelled. What is it with you people and not watching where you're going? Breathing through the pain, Link looked up and his insides froze. Standing at around twice his height with olive skin, red hair, and white clothes was a Gerudo. He scrambled upright, almost heedless of the pain throbbing through his head. He reached for his sword, and the woman snorted. <laughs> Do yourself a favor, kid, she said, sounding amused. Don't even try. Knowing it was useless, and having failed miserably last time he'd tried to take on one of her kind, Link moved his hand away from his sword. The smile on the Gerudo's face was positively terrifying. He took a step back, swallowing nervously. The woman rolled her eyes. You do realize that if I was going to hurt you, I wouldn't be standing here staring at you. Link backed away a little more wondering if he could quickly slip into the crowd and run before the Gerudo had a chance to pursue him. As light as he was on his feet, he didn't think he could outrun her. Then, she said the words he'd been hoping he wouldn't hear. She was staring at him, an odd curiosity flickering in her eyes. You're that forest boy, aren't you? She asked slowly, looking him up and down. The one that went missing a while back? She knows who I am, Link thought. Gulping, he was ready to run. It was possible the crowd on the street behind them would slow her down. Or was that a futile thing to hope, and she'd haul him all the way back to her king? He vowed not to tell her anything. I don't know how you arrived here, but I won't tell anyone that I saw you. A few days ago I might have. But, the Gerudo paused, all trace of her smile gone. She looked troubled. Then she shook her head. Never mind. I doubt a boy like you would understand. I'm not sure I do yet. A lot is going on, and this town is not safe. Shika murdered in broad daylight. I'm telling you, kid, this place is the pits. Do yourself a favor, and get as far away from here as you can. 
Give that stone you carry to the Shikah. They should never have burdened you with it, let alone make you bring it here. You can do that, can't you? I... Uh, I can, Link squeaked. Good. If you go to the docks, you might be able to find a barge going up north. Without another word, she darted off, leaving Link and Navi staring after her. Boy and Fairy glanced at each other, neither voicing what the other suspected. The Shekha meant to guide them to Hyrule Castle was dead, and this Gerudo knew far more than she should. We're on our own, Link mumbled. Not for the first time since arriving at Castletown, he felt alone and afraid. Everything about the city seemed unnatural and strange. He wanted to find Malin and Talon. He wanted to go back to the woods. He wanted to find somewhere that was familiar. There was a comfort in familiar things. But as Link stared up at the faces staring down at him, he found none of that. He was surrounded by people, lost in a forest of stone and totally alone. We can't give up now, Link. Come on, let's see if we can find something in here, Navi encouraged him. I'm sure we can still find a way to get into the castle ourselves. Feeling a little numb, Link nodded and walked through the door of the mask shop. He entered a spacious room, bedecked with a nauseating display of bright colors and oddly fashioned masks. Ribbons draped the walls, and a rug of royal blue covered the floor. It was the masks that really got Link's attention. There were masks of animals, masks with broad smiles, Link thought those were creepy, and masks with their faces twisted into a feral snarl. There were others that Link couldn't even begin to contemplate what they represented, and some that almost seemed to whisper to him. What is this place? he wondered aloud. It looked weird. All these grinning masks made his spine tingle, and the hairs on his neck stand up. It was as if their eyeless slits were somehow watching him, scrutinizing his every move. As if in answer to Link's thoughts, a high-pitched voice broke out in song, startling him so much that he actually jumped. Link located the source in a heartbeat. A mask, its face decorated with a lavish smile. What? Is that? Link asked as the merry singing continued in what he assumed was total gibberish. A talking mask, Navi said, sounding very unamused. How annoying. What's it doing? Singing a Hylaean carol. Oh, don't mind that, a voice called cheerily from behind them. That's just his way of saying hello. That there is one of my finest creations, and quite handy when you're in the back of the... Well, I haven't seen you around here before, have I? Link spun around to see a man standing behind the counter. Having heard no footsteps or the creak of an opening door, Link was almost convinced he'd simply appeared out of thin air. The gentleman was a lanky fellow, dressed in blue robes, his pointy ears poking out beneath his neatly combed red hair. He was hunched over slightly, but despite his ailment, his smile spread from ear to ear, and he clapped his hands together in apparent delight. Uh, hi, Link said, feeling greatly unnerved by the elaborate gesture. The mask by the door finally stopped singing. Link breathed a quiet sigh of relief and was pretty sure Navi did as well. Still trying to take in the array of masks lining the shelves, 
He approached the counter, not quite able to shake the sense that every one of those masks was watching him. A tome, laying flat on the countertop, caught his attention. Though he couldn't read the words, he glimpsed a picture of a heart-shaped mask. The shopkeeper quickly snapped the tome shut, and Link almost jumped at the force of it. I didn't see anything, he said, voice straining from nerves. Honest! One cannot help the curiosities of such a young mind. But a boy like you must be careful, the man shited him. Great, Link thought. He sounds just like Navi. The similarity ended there. The man's smile widened again, and he gestured with an elaborate bow. Well, in that case, ah, where are my manners? Welcome, my dear friends, he said, opening his arms wide. Welcome to the Happy Mask Shop. It's always so delightful to see a new face. We sell the finest masks from all of Hyrule and beyond. Masks bound to give you everlasting happiness. This guy was seriously weird. Some of the masks, the few that weren't grinning, looked more like they were intended to frighten someone to death and bring everlasting sleep rather than happiness. No wonder that Gerudo had been so eager to get out of the shop. She didn't look like the type who'd tolerate this man for long, let alone his nauseating taste and decor. Um, Link managed swallowing before he tried again. Your sign says you sell magical masks? Indeed I do, the man beamed. We have a lot of masks. Hmm, let me think. Hmm. He tapped a finger on his chin and glanced sideways at Link looking him up and down like a tailor fitting a patron. Ah, yes! Some of these would go nicely with your costume, hmm? He waved a hand at the masks on one side of the shelf behind him. Amongst the dozen or more on the shelves, Link spotted a yellow fox-faced mask. There was another, which seemed to be a rather demented-looking smiling skull. And a third was a bright yellow hat with floppy bunny ears. How about this one? The man gestured at the bunny ears mask. It would fit perfectly with your costume, and I dare say you would look splendid. Link blushed, and Navi burst out laughing. No? The masked man asked when Link wrinkled his nose in disgust. No thanks, Link said. He shot Navi a death glare that quickly stifled her mirth. And I'm not wearing a costume. I'm a kokiri. Of course you are, the man said dismissively, clearly not convinced. Not to worry. I do like a tricky customer from time to time. But fear not, you won't come away disappointed. He clapped his hands again. Do any of the other masks take your fancy? We're from the woods near the edge of the Faron province. The man's small eyes spotted Navi. As if he only was noticing her for the first time, he squinted and frowned. A boy and a fairy. How intriguing. Yes, very intriguing indeed, he mused softly. Before smiling and chuckling as if he'd just told an elaborate joke. <laughs> forgive me, forgive me. I thought you must have been a child with a pet fairy. Navi stared daggers at the word pet. I'm after a mask that makes you invisible, Link said loudly, his face going red. Please, I really need one. Invisible? All trace of the man's smile vanished. 
No, my dear boy, I'm afraid I don't have anything like that. His eyes fell upon the scars across Link's face, and he grimaced. I was sent a shipment of invisible masks, but it seems they never arrived, for when they did, the box was empty. A flicker of annoyance passed over the man's face. I am terribly sorry, boy. I can't help you, but if you change your mind... He gestured towards the group of kids' masks. No thanks. Link left without another word. He didn't like that strange blue-robed Hylian, and decided he'd rather be as far away from him as he could. As they walked out of the shop, Navi gave a snort of laughter. What? Link asked as he shut the door. Oh, I was thinking just how cute you would look in that bunny hat. What with that green- Hey! Link protested, blushing furiously at the idea. He nearly bumped into someone as he stepped into the crowd, was tempted to return their angry frown, and then asked Navi to guide him. Still aware of what happened to Sierra, Link and Navi kept in the thick of the crowd and hoped nobody would spot them easily. Link feared the Gerudo might go back on her word and send someone after him. The sooner he was away from the mask shop and the inn, the better. Nobody would know where to find him. As he got closer to the castle, the crowd thinned out, and Link spotted something large and orange next to a stall that sold armor. He took it for a six-foot-tall orange boulder until he noticed it had arms and legs as well as a pair of eyes. Uh, Navi? What is that? he asked. The creature's mouth moved as he spoke to a Hylian beside him. The man was about the same size as Talon, and even then, he barely came up to the giant's shoulders. That's a Goron. They're the ones who made your sword, Navi replied. What? Link asked, confused. Kapora retrieved it after they brought it part way. Link thought his sword would have looked like a butter knife in the Goron's hands. A very sharp butter knife. Come on, Link, Navi said at length. We should keep going. Link left the stall and reached the gates stood ahead. They were open wide, but even as Link thought about it, there was no way he was getting in there. Soldiers in uniform stood guard and more watched from the wall. There were at least 20 and their hard stares didn't look friendly. No getting in that way, Link thought. You want me to try flying in? Navi suggested. I don't know the person Sierra was going to meet, but I could try to find either them or Zelda. He didn't like the idea of waiting on his own while Navi went hunting for Zelda. What if she couldn't find him? Or worse, a Gerudo showed up and grabbed him. That very thought made him look around at the thickening throng, but none of them resembled a Gerudo. Let's have a poke around first, he said. Just as he spoke, he felt a hand in his pocket. He spun, saw a boy pull his hand away, and realized he was holding Soraya's ocarina. Caught, the boy started to run. Seeing Soraya's ocarina in his hands, Link forgot all caution and charged after him. Give that back, he cried, all rationality giving way to a wave of seething hot anger that surged through him. The boy entered an alley, and Link was only a few steps inside before he realized his error. Suddenly, where there had been one child, there were five surrounding him. They were taller than he was, and they looked mean. One glance, and Link knew they were not well off. Dirt stained their clothes. They wore no shoes, and their hair was unkempt. He was reminded of the beggar he'd seen earlier. You look like you've got some interesting stuff on you, the tallest boy said smugly. Think we might just take a look? 
His eyes turned to the boy with Link's ocarina, who was busy tussling with one of his companions as they tried to take the instrument from him. The others stopped their argument when they felt their leader's eyes on them. At least, Link assumed, he was the one in charge. Hey, what you got there? The tall boy stared at the thief holding Link's ocarina. It's just an ocarina, the thief replied. Link watched the boy turn it over in his hands, resisting the urge to fight and rip it free. Think I might just keep it? His grin was mocking. Ha! <laughs> might fetch me a few rupees. It's mine, Link said fiercely. That drew their attention back to him, and the tall one scowled. You watch your tone! He stepped forward. Link swallowed, and without moving, he tried to open his awareness to his surroundings. There were two ways out, both blocked. One led deeper into the warren of alleys, where Link was certain he'd encounter more trouble. The other led back into the crowded streets. A third option, climbing the walls on either side of him, seemed impossible. The stones were too smooth, with no nooks or handholds. How about we search him? One kid suggested. Bet that sword's worth a bit. Wonder what he's got in his satchel, too. Link stepped back. The boy in front of him made a move as if to push him. He could sense two of the other kids behind him, and he knew he couldn't go any further back. He'd have to fight, even if his instincts were screaming that this was wrong. Careful, one of the others cautioned. I bet he can use that thing. Poof, the eldest laughed. Ha, look at him. He's barely old enough to be a squire. I reckon he's a girl, another piped up. Look, he's even wearing a skirt. Link felt the heat rise in his face as laughter rippled around him. Fury rose in him, and he drew his sword. The effect was instant. The mocking laugh suddenly ceased, and there was a moment of tense silence. I can use it, Link said. Oi, city guard, stop right there, a voice boomed. The kids jumped, and Link took the momentary distraction to lunge at the boy holding Soraya's ocarina. He had no intention of causing harm, but the feint worked. Run, somebody cried. Here, take your stupid ocarina, the thief threw Soraya's instrument, and Link's breath caught in his throat as it fell. He wasn't close enough to catch it in time, even as he reached out to snatch it into the safety of his hand. Thoughts of Soraya's ocarina, shattered and broken, flashed through his mind, but before he could reach it, a blur of light shot past him. Navi grabbed the ocarina by the mouthpiece, nearly knocking herself out of the air. She turned swiftly and dropped it in Link's palm. Then she spun back around, hollering, Pick on someone your own size next time, you rotten cowards! Link looked up, saw the guard rush past him, five of his companions in tow. Then, as his pounding heart slowed and the heavy thuds of steel boots faded into the distance, Link stood there. He clutched the ocarina, holding it close. He'd come so close to losing it and the emerald again. It made him feel weak, powerless. Link, they're gone now. I managed to get the guard's attention. When he saw you, he got help. <sighs> Navi's words came in a hurried rush and then faltered. It's okay. The ocarina's safe. We're nearly there. I promised Soraya I'd keep it safe, Link mumbled, turning his eyes to the instrument. He should have been able to fight back even knowing it would have ended with blood spilled. Navi fluttered to his shoulder. They're gone now. I'm sorry I couldn't warn you faster. You all right, kid? 
Link looked up, startled when he realized that one of the guards was looking down at him. Did they take anything from you? He asked more softly. No, Link shook his head. I got it back. Glad to hear it. There was a gentleness to the man's tone that calmed Link, much like Talon's. Are you lost? Where are your parents? I'm not lost. Link was glad that he managed to sound more confident. I... Suddenly unsure of whether or not to tell the truth, he stepped back. All that armor and the man's spear made for an intimidating sight. I... I'm okay. Thank you. The man looked confused by Link's reaction. His eyes went to Navi, and his confusion only seemed to intensify. Without another word, Link bolted. Link left the main road, far more cautious now. His steps carried him down a side street which ended in a muddy lane. This one seemed empty, save for a dog sniffing in a gutter. Ignoring the hound, Link kept his sword drawn. It felt strangely comforting. He'd just have to hope the guards wouldn't notice. Having his sword drawn would probably grab their attention. But what it also meant was that nobody else bothered him. There were some trees here that had grown close to the wall, their lower branches pruned to the stubs. The largest tree grew right over the wall itself, and most of its canopy was still intact. Normally, the tree would have been difficult, if not impossible, to climb. Not for a boy who'd grown up in a tree house. Link, I'm not sure that this is such a good idea, Navi said when Link pointed this out to her. It's not that high, Link assured her. I've climbed higher in the forest, and almost killed yourself according to Fora. Did not, Link retorted. This earned him a skeptical frown from Navi. We have to get the stone to the princess, and we don't have a Shaka to help us anymore. Navi muttered something under her breath, but Link ignored her. A house near the tree blocked it from view from the main road. Nobody would see Link climbing until he was a good way up. He was hoping no one would see him at all. He looked up, trying to find the easiest way up and started climbing. He grabbed onto the cracks and knots in the wood, heaving himself up and making sure he was steady before finding another hold. Navi guided him to the stubs of the branches that had once formed the lower canopy. It was a slow climb, even though it was not that high. Finally, after what felt like an eternity, Link reached the branch by the wall. He pulled himself up onto it, and then, Gripping the branch with arms and legs, he slowly slid across on his belly like a tree lizard. He looked out at the wall and saw there was nobody nearby. Most of the guards seemed interested in the gate. Stairs led down from the wall not far from him. He could sneak in that way. The branch was too thin nearest to the wall and probably wouldn't take his weight. So after some quick thinking, he jumped onto the rampart. Smiling at his success, Link turned to take in his vantage point. He could make out the sea of buildings that formed Castletown's southern district, with roads threading their way between the tall structures, like columns of marching ants. Colorful awnings draped around the edges of the plaza, and distant music marked the southern market. From here, Link could also see flags atop some of the houses, which fluttered in the breeze. There was one flag bearing the symbol of a bear, another the head of a wolf surrounded by a wreath, and a third green banner bore a tree. Another displayed the sigil of a red lion upon a sea of blue. Hadn't he seen that flying from the castle gates as well? 
To the east of the southern square, an enormous temple rose high above the surrounding buildings, a grand edifice of marble and steeple towers. A single tower at the rear featured a white dome that gleamed in the afternoon sun. To a small degree, it reminded him of the forest temple in the Lost Woods. What is that? Link asked, pointing towards the temple. That's the Temple of Time, Navi explained. Looking nervous, she checked either side of the wall to make sure nobody was coming. We shouldn't stand here. Someone will see us. Link nodded and stepped back from the edge of the wall. As he did, he failed to notice the sound of two people ascending the steps behind them. Navi whispered a warning. A gasp from behind startled Link and he spun around. He caught sight of a young girl and a boy reaching the wall. Both looked shocked to see him standing there, and their eyes went wide. Link stepped back, and as he did, the solid stone beneath him gave way to nothingness.